Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, children. Hope we've all been well behaved. I'm John Allage and this is Skylines, the Cinemetric Podcast. As I record this, it's just coming up to five o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. I should probably have come up with sort of a more interesting intro than you're about to get, but to be honest, Theresa May might be about to resign. There's unconfirmed rumours flying around. So this could be a huge night in British politics, or alternatively, it's possibly going to be like the last 27,000 huge nights in British politics. We all get very excited and then spend the evening watching nothing happen slowly and annoyingly. So I've not I've not really had the, the brain space to come up with anything interesting to say at this point. So instead, I'm just going to give you a very quick rundown of what's in this week's show. First off, we're going to go to the Centre for Cities uh, for our regular Ask the Experts slot with Paul Swinney. When we are going to talk about international exports, cities selling to the world and the open market, with Brexit still still very much a live issue, whether we like it or not, that seems that seems topical. But really, that's just the entree for the main course, which uh, is Patrick Maguire, the New Statesman's political correspondent, making his triumphant return to Skylines. He is going to tell us about the recent attempted coup at Liverpool City Council in which some other parts of the Labour Party attempted to to, uh, defenestrate Mayor Joe Anderson. It's not gone that well, but it's a good opportunity to talk about uh, Liverpool politics and what exactly is going on up there. So, hope you enjoy the show. By the time you hear this, it's possible Britain may have a new Prime Minister, but almost certainly it won't. Okay, well, here I am once again in the uh, very fine offices of the Centre for Cities in London's fashionable London Bridge District. It's a beautiful day outside, which we can't see because we're inside in a meeting room with Head of Policy Paul Swinney to talk about exports. Paul, didn't we just talk about exports? Why do you want to do it again? (laughs) Well, we did talk about exporters and local services, which was quite a a technical subject about about different types of business that we tend to use in in our research. But what we want to talk about today is about um, what everybody probably recognises as exports, things that go beyond our shores, goods and services that have been sold around the world. And the question is, particularly in light of Brexit, how much do our cities trade with the world? And that's what we've been looking at in our most recent research. Well, it's global Britain, isn't it? So I'm sure our cities, if they don't trade with the world now, they bloody well will soon. (laughs) You must have been reading Liam Fox's playbook with with lines like that. 40 trade deals, any any minute now. (laughs) Arranged by a man who should definitely be in cabinet and should not have been disqualified from ever holding a government job after the head of the civil service described him as a security risk. 
He's fine. He knows what he's doing. Okay, I'll stop now. Well, fortunately, we've we put some data together to guide government ministers, whoever they may be, in sort of both the current and no doubt future uncertainty about what's going to happen in terms of, of our trade. What's interesting is that when we look across all of our UK cities, we see that all cities bar none send more goods and services to the EU than any other market. So it's around about an average of about 45%. Telford tops the list at around about 70% of all of its goods and exports going to the EU. So I think it's right that we talk about other trade deals, but the reality is, is that you know, across the country, getting a good deal with the EU is really important for the prosperity of those places. So sorry, did you say every city? Every single city. Does more trade with the, more international trade with the EU than with the, with the rest of the world? That's right, okay. exactly. Okay, first question, just like check our biases here. Are we sure this is like, is it, is it possible that, you know, cities are somehow different from the non-city bits of the UK and that actually like the rest of the economy is doing vastly more trade with the world at large than it is with Europe? This city average is actually pretty close to the national average as a whole. So when you look at cities in, uh, as a group, they're not really diverging very much. So broadly, no. What we do see across cities is that there is a reasonable amount of variation and that some places are more reliant on an EU market than, than others. And no doubt you will get that in some of the more rural areas as well. But I would not expect that there'd be a, a huge difference even in those parts of the country because of the makeup of what we see for, at a national level in terms of where we send our goods and services. Okay, so next question. Why? Is, is, there, is there a reason that every city is more likely, or every part of the country it sounds like, is more likely to trade with the EU than they are with the world beyond? Is it just path dependency because we've been in the EU for, for 46 years? Well, or is there something else at work here? Well, I'm sure having a, you know, a very preferable goods and services deal with a, a trading block of 28 neighbouring countries has probably had something to do with it. And no doubt any changes to that should be something that we should be worried of. But I think what's also important with this too is that geography does matter with these sorts of things. You know, we, and we have got better technologies and better means of transporting goods, etc. But we do see that across the world, countries tend to trade more with their neighbours than what they trade with elsewhere. So it's right, again, that we should be looking to um, set trade deals with other parts of the, of the world. But I shouldn't think we'd be expecting to now spend send sort of 30 or 40% of all our goods and services over to New Zealand or Australia, for example. You know, geography is important in this. Oh, why? I mean, is that for the obvious reason? I mean, like with goods, you can kind of understand it's easier to send a tin of baked beans to France or Belgium than it is to send it to New Zealand or Tuvalu, just because like you have to ship it further to those latter places, so that's going to bump up your cost, so it becomes less competitive, so, so, so. You know, you can see the logic there, but why does this also seem to hold true with services? It's a good question. I think in part it's about the ability to do business with, with people who are closer and it's just that little bit easier. And yes, you know, we do, we do trade services with America. That's a slightly longer trade, uh, flight to get over there. America is probably looking to some of its trading partners sort of around it too. I think sort of there's an element of familiarity with proximity that seems to come about in terms of our trading patterns. And that seems to influence what's going on. On the other hand, of course, if you look at from a goods point of view, have you ever tried to get a tin of baked beans in a French supermarket? It's almost impossible. So you know, perhaps that's something for us to work on. Well, yeah, I mean, if we, if we were for Brexit, then that would be a great, <laughs> um, a, a great growth industry for us to get into, I think. So just to, like, like bringing this back to the issue of uh, the moment, it is still the issue of the moment, even if they stop shouting about it every 15 seconds to the other time. What does the right kind of trading arrangement for Britain's cities look like? Like, what should be the negotiating priorities 
in the Brexit negotiations, which are never going to end, which are going to occupy the rest of our lifetimes. What should the government be after to best serve the needs of the economic needs of Britain's cities? It's about trying to get a, a deal that is as close as possible than what we've got currently with the EU. Now, obviously, there are all sorts of politics that are wrapped up with that. And it's easy for me to sit here and, and say this. But ultimately, the position where we're in is that we have got a favourable deal with or a really good deal with the EU as it stands. All of our cities benefit from that. Some places in particular, like Telford especially, benefit from that. Any move away from the terms that we've currently got is going to be a bad thing for those different places. How bad that's going to be, it's difficult to quantify. What we do know is that a no deal is likely to be worse than, than a soft Brexit or whatever it is that we're going to call it this week. But that's what we should be thinking about. That ultimately, you know, there are jobs and prosperity on the line from not getting a getting a good trade deal with this partner. And yes, you know, we can go and talk about the Commonwealth or yes, we can go and talk about trying to, to strike a deal with China. That's all well and good. But the biggest deal on the table is the one that we've got already. Um, and that's the one that we should be laser focused on um, rather than sort of, you know, talking about, oh yeah, we'll just get a trade deal here and get a trade deal there. When the re reality is that not only do trade deals take a long time to negotiate, and you have to negotiate with individual countries rather than a block of 20 years. But actually, we don't tend to sell that much to countries outside of the EU. So basically, when it comes to Brexit, the softer the better, by the sounds of it. From a trade point of view, certainly, I think in terms of how much our different cities across the, the country trade, a softer Brexit would be better from them than a, than a, a no deal Brexit. OK, just to, just to wrap up, a slightly different question. Which cities do the most international trade? In terms of the, the total amount of exports, and we do it, so in terms of, sort of absolute amounts, it'll come as no surprise that London is the, uh, okay, is okay, the one that exports. That's, okay, the, you're going to have a correlation with population so, size. Yeah, now let's do, do you have a measure for yes. exports per head? So we look at exports um, per job okay. to try and get a measure in terms of the, um, in t it's a, a comparative measure across different cities. And it's Derby that comes out with the highest number of exports. So we estimate that it's around about... £46,000 worth of exports sold to the rest of the world for every job that's in Derby. This is, Derby, am I right in thinking, is uh, aerospace, right? So is it just that there's there's some really high-value exports there that are kind of bumping up the figures, basically? Yes, there's, there's Rolls-Royce's activities with, with aerospace and there's Bombardier as well in terms mm. of trains. I think it's got the, the double whammy of, yes, exporting a lot, but also, like you say, a reasonable amount of that is, is pretty high value, especially the, the Rolls-Royce element of what they do. And I think that's both, it's heavily manufacturing, but also there's an element of sort of services attached to that. Of, it's not just about selling the jet engines, but it's also selling the, the warranty almost of the, the continued mm. sort of servicing of those engines too. So Derby comes out very high. Uh, Sunderland also comes out very high too. That is because of Nissan and because of the cars that get exported from there. Although there's something quite interesting in the statistics here. So Sunderland in total exports about £45,000 per head, so Derby was 46, so it's just behind. But in terms of what goes on and how HMRC register the, uh, the exports, the whole car, so obviously when the car gets exported, the whole car gets mm -hmm. attributed to Sunderland. So that's the design of the car, because you can't divorce that out. It's the engineering of the car. You know, the car just goes from Sunderland. Whereas the reality is, and as we've spoken about in the past, you know, the value-add elements of what goes into a Nissan car aren't necessarily done in Sunderland. So Sunderland captures the goodies of, yes, the export went from here, 
but actually some of the, the, the product and the value that goes into that product wasn't created there. So these stats can be distorted a little bit sure. on that front. And just out of interest, which, which cities are kind of most dependent on the European Union for their trade? So Telford comes out as being top. Telford? Yes. Okay, the, don't hear a lot about Telford. You, you don't hear a lot about Telford. That's why it's fantastic that it's come um, top of our list. Cause Fairly we, sure Telford voted leave. <laughs> it's, uh, I believe it did, but then unfortunately there weren't that many places that, uh, that didn't. Wake- this is why I'm confident in saying that. <laughs> so I'm saying, yeah. Wakefield also was, uh, was a, a big one. Again, sort of a place that that voted leave. Sixty-two percent of all of its exports go to go to the EU. Uh, York, which I think probably didn't vote leave, actually, I'll know for sure that was sixty-three percent. So there's a, a nice little counterexample there. And um, so you get a bit of a spread, I think, in terms of the different types of cities that that are, are most reliant. And there's no particular geography in that. It's all cities in the north, or it's all cities in the south. Actually, it's it's a bit of a spread, and some of that has to do with the quirks of individual businesses that are there. But you know, again, to stress, you know, while you have this variation across, you know, the EU was the biggest market for every for every city across the across the country. I think Aberdeen was the place that where the EU was least reliant, but we still had a third of all goods and services going to this one market. Okay, well, Liam Fox, if you're listening, see the error of your ways and uh, resign, please. That's me. That's not. That's not the official policy of the Centre for Cities. That's just me, Liam Fox. You should resign. You should not be in government. Go, go. Thanks, Paul. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I am joined by my colleague from the New Statesman Politics Desk, uh, Patrick McGuire. Hello, Patrick. Hello. And we are going to chat about Liverpool, which I think probably this this is our third, at least our third Liverpool-themed podcast. It is. So I think it is probably the city that's had the most podcasts about it outside London. So well done there. But there's always a lot to say about it, isn't there? There is, and none more so than this crazy month. So, so like, give us the headline. Design. So, so, what's been happening in Liverpool? Why are we talking about Liverpool right now? Well, 
Polls closed on May the 3rd after a round of local elections in which Liverpool is um, essentially a one-party state. No news there. The Labour Party more or less continued its dominance in Liverpool. A couple of losses here and there. But the really big news is as the moment the polls closed, a lady called Anne O'Byrne, who was the deputy mayor of Liverpool, of which more later, announced she was launching a coup against Joe Anderson, one of three mayors in Liverpool. And that was massive news. We'll get into why that's massive news in a bit. Why does a city need three mayors? Like, we're big on mayors around here. We love a mayor. That seems like overkill. Like It sounds like, to me, like maybe Liverpool is a bit over-mayored. Yeah, well, it depends how you define the term mayor and how you define Liverpool. Liverpool has a directly elected mayor in lieu of a council leader, as some cities do. It also has a lord mayor, i.e. just a councillor who gets to wear a tricorn hat and a big chain. So that's kind of like effectively like equivalent to like prime minister and ceremonial president. Yeah, right? exactly, it's exactly. Like, yeah. And then there is the metro mayor for the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority. And friends of or you know supporters of the Liverpool City mayoralty, i.e. the executive mayoralty for Liverpool City Council, get very uh get very, you know, uppity when you say, oh, Liverpool has two mayors, because they say, well, no, it doesn't, because the two mayors are completely different. Steve Rotherham, who is the city mayor, has an entirely different jurisdiction and a much, you know, a really a, a different brief to Joe Anderson, who is the directly elected mayor of Liverpool itself. So so let's kind of do some geography lessons. The the city region of which the the uh, pretty popular Steve Rotherham is, is the mayor is not just Liverpool itself, it's also a bunch of the surrounding boroughs, right? Yeah, so you've got Liverpool, Knowsley, Halton, which is in Cheshire, not Merseyside, a bit confusing. You have St Helens, you have Sefton, where I'm from originally, I'm from Southport in uh, Sefton. There's a separatist movement, but that's a story for another podcast. And you have the Wirral. So that's a fairly, it's a fairly heterogeneous sort of mix of boroughs, but, you know, Rotherham still one at a counter. And obviously, as you know, I don't need to tell your readers, readers, listeners, or and indeed your readers, I hope there's some overlap, what the combined authority does, but it's, you know, much more strategic role, planning, and education. transport, transport. that kind of thing. Whereas Joe Anderson is Whereas Joe Anderson rules the city. Yeah. Bins, housing. At one point, I'm told he did want to do a giant liver bird on top of Everton Brow, looking down on the city and presumably traumatising the children. A generation of children. Yeah. But so, I mean, like, is there any benefit to having these? Because, I mean, they are quite separate positions. It strikes me that maybe the problem here is not administrative so much as branding. The problem is, like, kind of the more powerful mayor in some ways is the one who does kind of region, you know, city region-wide planning but he's not the one who gets the good job title. Like, you know, Mayor of Liverpool is kind of instinctively what you would probably end up calling that. Yeah, I suppose it's because, you know, Liverpool City Council is a, you know, it's a big council. It needs... The problem is the the roles don't actually overlap all that much. Mm. Even if there was the, the Mayor of Liverpool wasn't directly elected, you would still have a Liverpool council leader who was just as prominent a figure in local politics and was, you know, just as influential as... Joe Anderson, obviously that's a, there's a debate to be had there over whether that's, that assertion of mine is true, hence the, hence the attempted coup. So the problem is there isn't much overlap, but they do sound the same. Yeah. You sort of wonder whether Steve Rotherham's title was Mayor of Merseyside, or if he wasn't called the Mayor, he was you know, the Chair of the Liverpool uh, City Region Combined Authority, because that's what he is. 
or he's accountable to the combined authority. Anyway, yeah. if it was, it's, if it's, it was the board that he's accountable to is the council leaders, including Joe Anderson. I yeah, think. exactly, exactly. So, you know, if the if the roles didn't sound the same, I wonder if and you know if it had been taken by perhaps if Barry Grundevold, who was the leader of St Helens Council. Oh, this is a real person. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, if he he was mooted, <laughs> not not a, the villain from the Harry Potter yeah. prequel series. <laughs> he was he was mooted as a potential Liverpool City region mayor. You wonder if. It wasn't quite such a conspicuous figure. It was like nobody, nobody can name the West of England mayor, can they? Right, Tim Bowles, I can. Yeah, I could, but I was, you know. I think the listeners of this very fine podcast probably do. Could. Do Marvin Rees, and I suppose again, they're not from the same party. There isn't the sort of yeah, they're side. not from the same party. They rep, and and also like those two geographies are quite different. Like mm. even though like the West of England is sort of Greater Bristol, it's also sort of not. There's rural areas. There's Bath. Whereas, like, Liverpool and the Liverpool city region are kind of like, you know, if, if you kind of look down from space and try to draw a line around Liverpool, you would get something that I think is closer to the city region than the, the council mm. area. Mm. So it's it's a mess. But, I mean, OK, why, just from a sort of internal Labour Party point of view, was there ever a move, we'll come back to the present, the, the most recent coup, but was there a move historically to try and tackle this situation? Like, well, could could they have, like... I mean, when, when, when Steve Rotherham became, when he became the candidate to be mayor of the Liverpool City region, which was, you know, an election that everyone knew he was going to win, he was obviously going to have to vacate his, his seat in Parliament, which was Liverpool Walton. Liverpool Walton. Well, why couldn't they just give Joe Anderson that? Well, Joe, wouldn't, that Joe, wouldn't that have just made life easier? Joe Anderson did stand for the selection. Obviously, the, you know, I wasn't on the NEC, Labour NEC selection panel for that seat. Obviously, I don't know why I would be, because I was a... A junior, I was an intern at the New Statesman at the time, so it would have been weird if I had been. But that he went to Dan Carden, former consigliere to Len McCluskey, now Shadow International uh, International Development Minister. He was, you know, found uh, favour with um, Unite, I believe. That is, as popularly told, that's how right. Dan Carden got the seat. So is it just like he, he's supported by a different? Because Joe Anderson's a bit sort of like he's like the sort of mayors used to get in Chicago a hundred years ago, right? He's kind of like a sort of party machine type. Liverpool has a rich tradition of boss politics. And, you know, local experts have posited that Joe Anderson might be an inheritor to that rich Labour tradition. But yeah, had Joe Anderson got the Walton selection, you do wonder whether instead of having a mayoral by-election, there would have been a case for, right, we established this mayoralty without a referendum, one of only two cities to do so, the other was Leicester, when a similarly prominent local figure, Peter Salisbury, got the mayoralty. Mm-hmm. You do wonder, because then they wouldn't have had, there was no, you know, in other places, other authorities where they've abolished the mayoralties, they've had to have referenda. But, you know, at that point they could have said, well, we've had our fun with the mayoralty guys, Joe's got a seat in Parliament, let's go back to a conventional leader and cabinet system, which is what Anne O'Byrne, who wrote, who outlined her arguments in some depth on City Metric the other week, was trying to do. Mm. And though for all the stuff we, I mean, we were talking about how like actually these roles are quite different, and that's true. But it's also not the whole story, right? Because like a significant chunk of power that sort of accrues to mayoralties is from the sort of bully pulpit function. It's like basically someone standing up and saying, "Hi, I am the voice of Liverpool. This is what our city needs." Yeah, it's interesting. All the criticisms Anne O'Byrne made of Joe Anderson in her in her article for City Metric, i.e., you know, and indeed in her. You know, explosive statement that was released at 10 p.m. on that warm evening in May. You know, it was you know too centralised, too much, too much executive power, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those were the things that Tony Blair and Prescott, when they tried to revolutionise mm. local government, 
said would, would be the strengths of this. And well, you know, as you just alluded to, sort of the, the idea that you have a salesman and you know powerful sort of chief executive figure in a city. And I suppose actually the problem is when you are maybe it doesn't necessarily work in cities where under first past the post in Liverpool and Manchester you just accrue so much power. You know you mm. can be, you can rule sort of unchallenged. Yeah, I mean, like Liverpool. You have a massive, you know, Jonathan has a massive popular mandate as well. Yeah, but I mean, Liverpool is so Labour. Mm. I mean, like it's it is kind of proper one party state territory. Like when when did that start? Like, give us some political history. Well, I mean, Liverpool was run by the Lib Dems in the noughties. It was run by the Lib Dems because at that point, you know, Labour were not seen as left wing enough, and the Lib Dems were seen as more left wing option. Right, like times but, have, have changed a bit. Well, but but, but also that then you then there's the hangover from. The from militant and the you know the the, the you know the, the the Liverpool twenty nine as well who resigned from the council over the poll tax. But what Joe was elected has been elected both times on the first round of the mayoral election. You know, absolutely, cake an absolute cakewalk for him. If you go back, sorry, sticking with the political history for a moment, you don't have to go back as far as you might think to get to a point where Liverpool was also returning Tories to Westminster. Right? Yeah, yeah, indeed, and that's a that's um less of a blue vote than an orange one. You know, Liverpool was a traditionally, you know, the sectarian in Liverpool was, you know, historically only, you know, secondary to Glasgow in terms of its frosty and the, the, its influence mm. on voting patterns. Only only city in mainland Britain to have ever returned an Irish nationalist MP, TPO, TPO Collar. Oh, when was that? That was in the early 20th century. It was very interesting. And also that is a lot of the character of the local Labour Party you know, given to plots and internecine warfare and machine politics. Michael Crick expounds on this in some detail in his history of militant. It has a lot to do with Irish Catholic immigration. So when you say it was less a blue vote than an orange vote, like unpack like how sort of connections with Irish nationalism get you Tory MPs. I mean the unionist, the Protestant vote would return right, Tory okay. MPs. And until the late seventies a party called the Liverpool Protestant Party held the balance of power on Liverpool Council. So you're saying that like people voted Tory to kind of show that they were not in favour of the Irish, the other half. Yeah, of yeah. I mean, it was a, it was yeah. a sectarian, you know, it was a sectarian voting pact. Right. And in the early noughties, as a publicity stunt, Ian Paisley said he was going to set up a DUP branch in Liverpool. <laughs> he never got beyond the press release. I mean, that is a hell of a publicity stunt. To be fair to the, <laughs> to be fair to the man, that was a that was a great press release. But like, when did that change? Like, when did like Liverpool, as we said, is now like such a one party state that like more than any of the other Metro Mayor candidates at the point where Steve Rotherham got the nomination, it's like, well, he's going to be mayor. We all knew that. Um, the only question is like how big a vote share he got. When did that happen? When did it become like such? Is that a thing about? Is that a product of the eighties or did it happen earlier? Post coalition, the Lib Dem vote, especially in Liverpool, mm. absolutely cratered. Now, the, the, Lib, the Lib Dems in Liverpool are, are on the up. They now form the official opposition on the council. Um, obviously, you know, compared to Labour, their representation is very small, but they're you know recovering. Their mm. vote is ticking up in South Liverpool, where they've historically been very strong. You know, Liverpool Liberals, again, masters of machine politics. You know, Jones the Vote, uh, the leader of Liverpool City Council, is credited with inventing Lib Dem campaigning techniques. So, you know. So, so like, does the, the Tory vote collapses at some point, I'm guessing the 80s, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the Lib Dem vote collapses more recently, and that's how we ended up with this sort of period where it's just like Labour across the board. Yeah, and, you know, are Labour going to lose any of the Liverpool seats or... 
Control of Liverpool Council and foreseeable future? No. Well, they, there is one Liverpool seat that's not held by Labour at the moment because it's uh, held by, held by Luciana, Berg, yeah. Luciana Berger of what they're calling themselves now, Change UK. Change UK, still. the independent group. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you know, how wrong I was. But, I mean, is Liverpool Waverstreet going to return a Change UK MP at the next election? It's anywhere, really. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it depends. You know, I won't repeat the argument made in the New Statesman Live podcast. Listen to that episode if you want to hear the inside scoop on where have they Chuck put, might I win a seat. I don't think they've put that one out yet, have they? No, no, but I mean, they, I'm sure they will. Yeah, well, they better. I mean, they could build it as a live <laughs> podcast. We worked bloody hard on that. We did. But yeah, so just, just to wrap up, like, do you think in the long term, like, there is this kind of sort of weird dichotomy between, like, Liverpool and the greater region, which has gone by different names. Like, Merseyside is in some ways a stupid name for it because Chuck's a bit, like, the chunk you're from are not actually anywhere near the River Mersey. Well, actually, most of, you know, most places that are on Merseyside in the most accurate sense of the mm. word are actually in Greater Manchester. There's a great line, you know, which f- football club is closest to the Mersey? And you sort of straight your chin and go, oh, is Anfield or Goodison is it, Park closest? Is it Man U? No, but it's Stockport County. Oh, okay. That is interesting. Yeah, well, the interesting, okay, inter- that's a really interesting question about demographics. The fear of the Liberal Democrats... I can't remember which way I've got this round, but it has been suggested to me by people locally that Southport, where I'm from, it's now a Labour Tory marginal. It's always been a Lib Dem Labour marginal. The theory, as we go... Actually, it was a local Tory who said this to me. As time goes on, as outward migration from Liverpool happens, mm. people move into the outer bits of the borough. You see, already seeing on the Wirral, places become... You know, a place like Southport will become much more like the rest of Merseyside. You know, it's a sort of process of scousification in the same way that you're seeing places like Chingford, places like Chipping Barnet, you know, like become previously true blue now. But what's driving that in Liverpool? Because in London, it's driven by housing costs as people literally being like, well, I'd love to live in Hackney, but I can't afford it, but I can afford this this flat in Chingford. People, housing costs are not quite the same in Liverpool. What's well, yeah. driving it there? People move to the burbs, mm. slightly more pleasant environs. No shade to Liverpool, great city, but yeah. and which, which has been happening for like I mean, a lot of the pop, the, the the population of those sort of suburban boroughs is basically the people who moved out of Liverpool Central fifty years ago, right? Like if you kind of look at the population of the actual city itself, it plummets after about the sixties. But generally, those people did not go to different cities entirely. They just kind of went to places on the train. Within Merseyside, yeah. yeah. So like, is it just a continuation of that process, or is there something else going on? The Democrat, I haven't drilled into the demographic trends quite as deeply as I maybe ought to as a student of my home county. But I just think it's a, it's a general, you know, like, you go up in the world, and I've gone very keen not to throw shade at Liverpool, because <laughs> it's a city I love. But, you know, you know people move to... Fancier places, don't we? We should we should be kind of bringing this segment to an end, but just kind of bring the story up to date for us. Joe, Joe Anderson defeated the coup. He did for for now. How he, how how did he do that? Well, so you know the, the the plan from his critics was to table a motion at the Labour Group's AGM that would it was it was an effective vote of no confidence because you know the it what isn't in the gift of the Liverpool Labour Group to just abolish the mayoralty. You know, they don't have that sort of statutory mm. power. But, you know, it would have been an effective... If a majority had voted again, uh, voted for that motion, it would have been very much a no way, Joe's A. But didn't happen. Jo- Joe's candidates won. Joe's slate swept the board. And did he end up voting on the main motion? 
So Liverpool's three mayors are here Janderson, to stay. Janderson lives to fight another day. And there's a sort of uh, healthy young upstart, I'm sure, who will live for many, many days to come. I hope, you'd hope so. Yeah. This is strictly ecumenical <laughs> podcast. <laughs> this, that was not an endorsement or a non-endorsement of Janderson. We are merely, this is Janderson's world and Steve Rotherham's and whoever the Lord Mayor's is, we merely live in it. Thank you. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show. And I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.